Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at either hsstaffing.com or fishhookbooks.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me this coming Wednesday at noon when my guest will be Anil Milwani from 212 Tax and Accounting Services. We will be discussing myths about tax deductions, what you can legally write off. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, www.thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, www.manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. Today is a very special program for two reasons. First, today's interview marks our 200th. I want to sincerely thank the Chamber for giving me this opportunity and our members for making the program such a success. In fact, we are booked solid through February of next year. I think that is proof positive of the service we are providing to our members and the business community at large. So I thank everyone, including most importantly of all, the tens of thousands of listeners that we have had over the past four years. Secondly, today's show is very special because of my guest. I am delighted to be joined by the Chamber's new president, Jessica Walker. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. That number again, 805-243-1301. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Bruce, and congratulations on the 200th uh, episode. Well, thank you. And, of course, welcome to the Chamber, and let's get started. Why don't you tell us about yourself? Sure. So, like many New Yorkers, uh, I am a transplant. I was born in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, lived there until I was about eight, and my parents, who are hippies, moved us across the country to the Navajo Indian Reservation in New Mexico. Uh, so that was sort of a, a very different environment. And um, I sort of made my way through high school high school there, but then made my way to school in New Jersey, uh, moved to New York with all of my friends, thought I'd be here for a short time, and I'm still here. And uh, And the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> well, we have something in common. We were both born in Detroit. Oh wow! You lived there for eight years. That's I lived right. there for eight days. So pretty much the same thing. <laughs> All right. Now the mission of the chamber is to advocate, connect, and educate. And I want to look at each one, but in reverse order. What educational programming does the chamber provide, and what changes, if any, are you looking to make? Mm, that's a good question. So. We essentially the chamber does a great deal to put the resources um, that business owners need uh, into their hands. So as you know, um, New York is a very difficult place in which to do business. It's expensive. There's a lot of competition, and we have a very complex regulatory structure. So you know, there's often uh, a lot of hoops that, that businesses have to jump through. So what we're trying to do is. Um, help businesses sort of figure out what they need to do to um, 
you know, to get the licenses they need, to post the notices they, they have to they have to post, and so on and so forth. Um, but also to give them the education that they need to maybe help expand their business and grow their business. So we've done some programming around, um, you know, how to build your LinkedIn account um, and sort of get online, things like that. But um, in terms of changes going forward, I really want to ramp up the help we're providing to entrepreneurs. Um, you know, I think it takes a lot of courage to start a business. And, uh, you know, entrepreneurs are some of the best people among us because they have to take a leap of faith to really turn an idea into a reality. So I really want to offer them as much help as possible. And on that line, I just want to mention that on May 12th, the Entrepreneurs Network is going to be having what we hope will be our first annual boot camp. And startups, people considering starting a company, will be able to uh, learn everything literally from writing a uh, business plan to creating an exit strategy. So I just wanted to throw that in, and of course you can Listeners can find out all about it by going to the Chamber's website, ManhattanCC.org, and clicking on the events calendar. So, we've discussed education. Let's discuss connecting. Talk to us about that. How can the Chamber help members to connect with each other? With whom? Would this be other members, government offices? What type of connections do we offer? Yeah, so I like to think that the you know the chamber is all about helping to forge what I call catalytic connections, uh, meaning that we're trying to help people meet other people who will spark something. So it could be new clients or business leads. It could be talking to other business owners who are in the same boat and can sort of you know help give them pointers, sort of that peer-to-peer networking. Um, but then we also host numerous networking events throughout the year that. Um, um, that just allow folks to get their business out there. Um, we've also hosted a number of events that provide our members with access to key government officials. So since I've started in the last few months, um, we've already hosted Senator Gillibrand, uh, Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance, and City Comptroller Scott Stringer, uh, just to name a few. So, you know, it's just about um, trying to bring pe- pe- like-minded people together and um, trying to spark something. Well, one of the things that some members have appreciated is the fact that they can call up the chamber and say, I saw in the business directory uh, so-and-so has a listing. It's one of the members. Can you introduce me? Sure. And that would be facilitated. Is that something we're going to continue doing? I would I would love that, and I'd like to ramp that, that type of activity up, actually. I think that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Uh, and I think entrepreneurs understand that. Absolutely. Now, given your background, I wanted to save the best for last, so to speak. Yeah. And that's advocacy. Yeah. What is advocacy? Um, well, basically, it's about actively working to make something better. Um, so in the case of the Chamber, it's about trying to make sure that New York City remains a great place to start and run a business. So, you know, we're talking about the laws that are passed. Um, our tax rates, our tax policy, uh, you know, everything from fining the, you know, transportation really is, it runs the gamut, but it's about making sure that the city is a good place to, for, for business owners and, and those who want to start a business here. I used to work for a nonprofit. Yeah. And we were told we were not allowed to lobby. Yeah. 
So I was in, uh, this was in New Jersey. I would go to Trenton. I would go to D.C. And I would not lobby. I would educate. Right. <laughs> right. Now, there's, no, you know, there's really no difference between lobbying and educating because you're mm-hmm. going in trying to get a politician to endorse whatever policy you want. Sure. Am I correct? Yes, I think that um, lobbying has become a dirty word, as you know, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I think it really goes to, in my mind, it goes to how active you are in the advocacy. So there literally are thresholds at which the advocacy turns into lobbying um, legally. And that's really just about, um, at that point, you have to register with the state and report all of your activities um, because it's all about transparency. Um, So, yeah, I don't think lobbying should be should be a dirty word because I think it just really is active um, education. It's interesting. Several years ago, I was actually an advocate for issues relating to New York's elderly population. And, you know, yeah, I was working to get government funding for senior centers. So that's, you know, motherhood and apple pie. But even in that instance, I had to register as a lobbyist because I was, you know, doing so much active (laughs) advocacy. It's it's funny. I worked for uh, a social – well, it was a nonprofit that provided services, a continuum of services for seniors. Everything from a senior center for the frail elderly to adult day health care for persons with um, Alzheimer's or dementia, all the way to a nursing home. And I'd go out all the time and talk about how we need funding. Uh, and meet with state officials, and nobody ever said to me that I had to register as a lobbyist. <laughs> right. I was the fundraiser. Right. It seems right. like there's a double standard. Or yeah, does it depend on the true. organization? Well, it's also the laws. I mean, um, New York City really strengthened its its lobbying laws in recent years, um, just because there have just been so many uh, so many issues with public officials, especially in Albany. But um, uh, so it just might be a matter of that. Now, just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is the Chamber's newly appointed president, Jessica Walker. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. And please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Now, we've been talking about lobbying and lobbyists, but maybe we should define what we're talking about. You are a lobbyist. What does that mean? What does it entail? Yeah. So, like I said, it essentially means that I have to register with the state um, because, you know, they want to know which elected officials did I do I meet with, what issues uh, am I trying to advance. It really is just about transparency and reporting. Uh, that's really what it is, disclosing who you're talking to so it's so everyone can see. Um, and, of course, you know, as the the spokesperson for the chamber, I am – lobbying on behalf of the issues affecting small businesses in particular. So, you know, it could be, like I said, um, issues around tax policy or perhaps, um, you know, a bill will become will come before the city council that we want to try to make some changes to just to make sure it's not going to be burdensome to business owners. So, you know, it's not, um, it's not anything nefarious. It really is just trying to make sure that we're protecting businesses uh, as laws are written and, and policies advanced. 
Thank you. Now, let's look at a couple of major issues which the Manhattan business community is facing today. The first I want to touch on is the commercial real estate tax. What is it, and what is, if anything, is the problem with it? Sure. So, yeah, this is the um, the commercial rent tax is um, uh, is it's a tax that's been around for many years, but essentially it's become. I'm sorry, I, I said real estate. Yep. My bad. Yep. Okay. Nope. Same. So, so it's it's become sort of an unfair tax, though. It used to impact, uh, used to capture all businesses in the city, and slowly over time, it has been sort of chipped away at, and now only affects businesses in Manhattan below 96th Street. So it's really targeted towards certain businesses. And the problem with the tax is, well, there's several problems, but um, essentially businesses that are renting properties and pay more than $250,000 annually in rent are subject to the tax. And the tax becomes higher the higher your rent goes because it's tied directly to your tax, uh, tied directly to your rent. So that's the problem. And as you know, the rent in Manhattan has gone up nearly 42% between, you know, in the last three or four years. So this is a real problem affecting businesses. Um, You know, it's a real cost that that these businesses have to absorb. So what we've been saying is now is the time to really look at um, possibly offering tax relief to small, the smallest businesses in the city and, and possibly looking at ways to sort of phase the tax out altogether. It raises a lot of money for the city, though, um, so it's 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 a difficult topic, as you can imagine. But it really is something that that we we think is important to look at. It seems to be arbitrary. Why 96th Street? Why only yeah. Manhattan? Yeah. So, like I said, the the tax did start in the 1960s um, throughout the city. It affected businesses throughout the city. And changes were made to eliminate it for most uh, most of the outer boroughs at one point and northern Manhattan, just in terms of chipping away. Um, but now it's still left. I think it's just this this notion that businesses in Manhattan must be thriving. But the threshold at $250,000 in annual rent is hitting a lot of businesses um, nowadays. So it's a They're it's not a necessarily problem. big businesses. No, exactly. Um, you know, the real estate uh, costs in Manhattan are through the roof, and so a lot of small businesses are being captured by the tax. Now, a second issue I wanted to look at is Second Avenue. We've yeah. got the subway being built. The businesses there are suffering and have been suffering for years. They're supposedly going to get a reprieve because it should all be done by the end of the year, I think. That's right. What's, tell us about Second Avenue and what the yeah, chamber's doing. Sure. So um, I think folks know that the MTA has been building the um, Second Avenue subway for the last several years. Um, and just as you said, it is slated to open at the end of the year, which we're hopeful it, it will happen on time. But um, essentially, while, the re- while this construction was going on for many years, it was seen as a threat to businesses located near the construction site uh, because, you know, uh, there's scaffolding all over the place. Some of the businesses can't be seen. There were sort of fears um, that businesses business would suffer. So we did quite a bit to, um, you know, we've been there for sort of looking at um, what's happening with all of the businesses. We've had someone for the last several years actually walk the entire length of the construction site 
to keep tabs on what's happening with those businesses. And, of course, as you can imagine, some did close, um, and, um, and others moved in at the same time. But what we've seen is that it has been very steady in terms of the vacancy rate has not been um, – uh, you know, excessive, I guess. It, it, it didn't change from from year to year. So we do think that, for the most part, businesses have fared well. Um, and, and like I said, we've been very active to try to help them um, maintain their client base during this time. So, Jessica, what other issues are on the Chamber's agenda? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, in terms of uh, advocacy, we're definitely going to be looking to the 2017 city elections. Um, next year, we're going to have the uh, the race for mayor and several other citywide um, offices, and also for many races in the New York City Council. So I'd like for the chamber to be a player in that, to really have a voice and make sure that the issues of small business are front and center um, as those elections take place. I've been thinking, obviously, in preparing for this um, interview about other issues. And recently, and as you mentioned, uh, Comptroller um, Scott Stringer came and spoke to um, the Chamber last week. Uh, what a, I don't know if we have a policy yet on it, if you've given any thought to it, but what about minimum wage, the increase in the minimum wage to $15. I did a little research on it. I wrote an article on it. And one of the things that I found was that when they raised the uh, unemployment, uh, the, um, the minimum wage in California to $15, uh, the University of California, Berkeley, immediately laid off 500 people. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So what's your thinking on minimum wage? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the issue here is that it's going to be phased in in New York City, um, and there's no doubt that that is going to affect some businesses. That that will be a hardship to absorb. Um, so we'll it'll you know it's sort of a wait and see game. But I do think that there are some things we can be doing proactively in terms of trying to offset those costs, such as providing tax relief on the commercial rent tax. Um, the city's tried to do a lot to reduce the, you know, the excessive fining that was happening. Um, you know, it was found that the city has been, to some extent, fining businesses for minor infractions, uh, and that, you know, really can add up for a business. So, they've been sort of proactive in trying to to look at that and reduce fines. But there are c- certain things that I think we can be doing to offset, um, you know, the cost and help businesses absorb what's what's coming down the pike. Talk to us about the fines. That's a topic that a lot of people aren't aware of. And yeah. we're talking really silly things here. Yeah. So, as I said before, there's quite a bit of, you know, hoops that businesses have to jump through in order to be in compliance with all of the rules and regulations in the city. So, for example, someone trying to open a, a restaurant, there are a pl- I mean, there are just so many um so many things you have to do in terms of, you know, making sure your boiler is inspected. And, you know, even that I've heard can be a nightmare in terms of having to have the Department of Buildings come back several times because, you know, there's one little thing is off uh, and the process just sort of can go on forever. Um, And there are just other things like that. Health inspections obviously can be, you know, obviously it's something that's important, but it could be, 
you know, something minor uh, could really add add up in terms of the fining. So the city has been tried to, they have, has tried, they've tried to be reflective, if you will, uh, and really look into this in terms of is there something we can do instead of always issuing fines, can we do cure periods where you give the business a certain amount of time to come into compliance once you've made them aware of, of the infraction as opposed to just outright fining them. So, um, you know, there are things that are happening, and hopefully that that's gonna, that will get even better. Uh, I think that's a big issue for a lot of small businesses. The story that I couldn't believe that your predecessor told me was if a restaurant put up a sign in the wrong location, it should yeah. be on the I'm making this up, but you know, on the the left hand side of the front door and not on the right hand side. It's a five hundred dollar it it was a five hundred dollar fine. That's I right. I mean that's you know just move it. You know, what's the that's big right. deal? That's, so, yeah, that's exactly right. They're not nickel and diming. They're dollar and dollaring. That That's right. And, you know, what we don't want is a situation where business owners feel like they can't win here and they either have to close or, or go somewhere else. Um, you know, this is, this is New York City. We want businesses to feel that uh, the city is on their side and wants to help them uh, to be here and stay here and grow here. Now, with advocacy being such an important part of the Chamber's mission, Chamber can't do everything on its own. So sure. what type of assistance would you like from our members? Oh, that's wonderful. Great question. Well, I can tell you right right off the bat, um, you know, it's always helpful in advocacy to, you know, it can't just be me or, or the staff members of the chamber or, or board members. Um, it also has to be the members who can, you know, really get their make their voice heard uh, in concert with, with the work that we're doing. So a great example is in June we're going to be having a meeting with the new commissioner of the city's small business services department and you know that's a great opportunity to be able for all members to come out and really have a dialogue about what issues they're experiencing what they'd like to do how the city can be more helpful to them uh so there are lots of lots of opportunities but it's essentially being active in in their membership Jessica I'm treating you the way I treat every guest before I let you go what's the best way for people to get in touch Great. Uh, so r- the best way probably is the website, um, which I, mean, I know you've already said, but it's manhattancc.org. And I'd love for folks, if they are not already members, to just click on that orange banner and join the member, uh, join the chamber as a member. And um, and and then you know, then we can sort of be meeting at some of these events, which would be great. Um, but other than that, I think that. Uh, you know, this has just been a really good conversation, Bruce. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. And I want to thank you on behalf of my uh, fellow board members. I can say that it's been an absolute pleasure working with you the past couple of months. You've already made thank a you. very positive impression, and I'm certain that everyone wishes you only the greatest of success at the Chamber. Oh, thanks so much, Bruce. Really excited to work with you and and all of our members. As we are with you, and as always, I want to give a special thank you to our uh, to our listeners, and I'm sure Jessica 
joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week. Thanks.